Do you want to be a leader who gets noticed, gets things done, and gets real results? Then you need influence and authority. Join host Jennifer McClure to learn how to build authority, expand your influence, and increase your impact. This is the Impact Makers Podcast with Jennifer McClure. Hey there, Impact Makers. In today's podcast, I'll be talking about why I'm interested in telling stories about Impact Makers and how this podcast came to be called by that name. I'll also share a couple of real-life examples of people whose lives have been tremendously impacted by others in large and small ways. And finally, I'm going to make the connection that I see between changing the world and what you and I do every day in our work and in our lives. So why Impact Makers? I guess to understand that, we have to maybe go back a few years, maybe a few years even before I started my own business when I was working as an executive recruiter, which was really kind of having my own business with inside another firm. I had to go out and, and build a brand and get people to see me as someone who could help them find and attract talent into their organization. And that was new for me. So I began to learn about building a personal brand. And then from there, also began helping others to see what that could do for them and their businesses and in their careers. But I also knew that I needed to to have a purpose. I mean, why was I the best person to work with? What did I really bring to the table? And so, you know, I always tried to connect with how I could add value and what was different about me. Then when I started my own business in 2010 as a speaker, I mean, that's a platform that people think typically about, you know, that's a great place to make an impact or, you know, to go out and help others. And it, and it truly is. And I believe that. I mean, I, I definitely subscribe to the, I want to make an impact on at least one person in the audience. But, you know, truthfully, my goal is I want everybody, even if it's a room of, you know, two or 3,000 people to be impacted by my message. You know, my goal is to equip leaders to have more of an impact in their workplaces, to be the best leaders that they can be so that they can attract and recruit the right talent to their organization. So again, you know, I kind of sometimes struggled with, I'm teaching good stuff. I'm getting good feedback. You know, there are people coming up to me at the end of my programs and saying that I've made a difference or that I've had an impact on them. But I really wanted to connect with that difference making for me, I guess. And so, you know, throughout the last eight or so years of business, I've worked with various people. I've taken all the assessments. I've read books. I've, you know, done a lot of work to really connect to that, you know, Simon Sinek version of what is my why. And, you know, from time to time, I've thought I've hit on it, but it's not really had ever been anything that stuck for me until about two years ago. Well, about a year and a half ago. And I was actually driving to my home, uh, my childhood home of uh, Tennessee for the holidays, for the Thanksgiving holidays. And I was listening to a podcast of a sermon from the church that I go to here in Cincinnati called Crossroads Church. Now, you know, whether you're a person of faith or not, this this story hopefully still matters to you. But the truth is, I was listening to the sermon from my church, and, and the service was about uh, sharing some of the stories of what had been accomplished as a result of a giving campaign that, that the church had been through a couple of years earlier called the Game Change Campaign. And I had participated in the Game Change Campaign, and there were three initiatives that were part of that campaign. Uh, one of those was was to help 
end sex slavery in India through our partner, International Justice Mission. And that is something that I truly connect with and believe in. And so I had no problem supporting the Gain Change campaign, including the initiatives that were here in my own hometown, um, but really, really was interested in what International Justice Mission was doing over in India, removing children and girls from sex slavery. And so during this message, which was in November 2015, I was listening, as I said, driving down I-75 on the way to Tennessee, and they shared some of the stories of how, uh, you know, the money that we had given had really actually done what we'd set out to do. And at one point, uh, they focused on the work that had been done by International Justice Mission through the help of Crossroads in India. And I was just uh, riveted. Uh, you know, I was, wasn't watching this live or even, you know, I went back later and watched the video, but at some point they shared an interview from one of the girls who had been rescued from a home and her life had been changed as a result of that. And I'll link to it in the show notes. If you do want to go, you know, I'll, I'll share the exact point in the video that you can go to and, and watch her story. Um, but it's an amazing story. And I'd watched it again uh, today so that I could share it with you. And, and I cried again because it's just such an amazing story of what people are out there doing to create impact in this world. So to share this, this one girl's story, her name was Anjali, and again, she was sharing her story in video, but I was listening uh, in my car, and she talked about how when she was 11 years old, growing up in a very poor village and a poor family, uh, a man came to their village and offered her family the opportunity for her to get a job as a maid to help support her and her family. So... You know, we think about, you know, children being sold into sex slavery and you can't imagine how that could ever happen. But but this happens through, you know, people basically lying to these families and, and offering opportunities for them to live a better life. And so they have to make a very difficult choice and they do that in good faith. And ultimately, the person that that, you know, told this to her family was a sex trafficker, and he took Anjali and other young girls from her town back to a brothel in a place called Sanajam, I believe, Sanagachi, India. And there she was put into daily sex slavery, where she would interact with 15 to 20 customers a day, doing exactly what you can imagine, how terrible that would be. And she shared briefly a little bit about what that was like, you know, how how scary and humiliating that was, um, just the trauma of all of it, and how she and these other uh, children, you know, girls basically 11, 12, 13, 14 years old, would stand all day, um, and again, 15 to 20 customers or more per day. And at some point, when she was 14, International Justice Mission volunteers came in, and that's a very dangerous mission for them. They actually risk their lives to be able to do this work because obviously a lot of people have a lot of financial interest in keeping them from doing it, but they risked their lives and went in and rescued Anjali and I believe it was 16 other children from the brothel where she worked. Now, of course, the work doesn't end there. Um, you know, that's very brave and and 
then they have to take these these children who have been in this situation for years. They're afraid. They've been told they'll be killed, obviously, if they, you know, try to leave. And they're also told that, you know, their families will be impacted if they're not doing this work anymore. And so then the work really starts for these volunteers as they, they bring these children back to aftercare homes and they spend time with them by coming alongside them, you know, working with them to to kind of reprogram what they've had to do over the last two or three years and, and basically shut themselves off from the world. So Anjali shared about how the volunteers came alongside her and helped her to see that she was a person of worth and that she had value, not value to be sold for someone else's pleasure, but value as a human, as someone that could be loved and was loved by them and, and by God. And she shares that it, you know, it took a long time for her to actually believe them. It, you know, you can't imagine being beat down so much that that it's hard for you to believe that you could actually be a person of value. But, you know, she finally began to come around and here again, after I've gone back and watched the video to see her as a healthy, happy young woman is just so moving. And at the end of her story, she says that she knows that God did this for her, but that she knows that he did that through the work of the people that came in and actually rescued her. And that is where I started to cry. So I'm going to read this part to you here, what she actually said. I went back and wrote it down after I listened a second time. She said, he did that through you. God used you and you heard God's word. You heard and you acted. So I want to say thank you for me. I am your fruit. I am your works. Maybe you had a hundred rupees and you wanted to go buy some chocolate, but you didn't buy chocolate. You saved that for me. And that saved my life. Your rupees didn't go to waste. That's me. That saved my soul. And I now have a life and a destination and a hope. Oh, wow. I mean, I, I tear up just reading that and I teared up when I watched it again and I cried like a baby when I heard it on the way to Tennessee that day. And again, take take the religion or the God part out of it. Um, what I heard when Anjali shared, shared her story that day in that podcast that I listened to, I actually, when I went back and watched the video, what I heard that day is not the words that she actually said, which are what I just read to you. What I heard was, you changed my life. And that reached into my soul, into my heart, through the few dollars that I had given to support the actual heroes of International Justice Mission. I heard from her, you changed my life. You gave me hope. You allowed me to live my dreams. And that impacted me at my core. Not from a self-congratulatory kind of uh, of place, but I just really felt like, wow, I actually had a part in impacting someone's life. And again, the the heavy lifting was done by somebody else, but I can make a difference in the world. And so, you know, I, I of course thought about it the rest of the way home, and I thought about it a lot after that. And you know, later on, remember having a conversation with a friend where I said, you know, I think I'm I'm finally hitting on what I believe my purpose is, what what I want to do through my business, through speaking, through training, through the writing and the work that I do, the coaching with leaders that I do. I want to help people see that they can actually change the world, that I can change the world. 
And my friend, you know, being a good friend gave me some feedback on that. You know, when I shared the story with her, when I got excited and shared what I was excited about with her, you know, she took a different approach. She said, you know, you you have to be careful with that. You have to be careful with a message like that, that it doesn't come across as self-congratulatory, that you're looking for, um, you know, people to notice you because you, you know, impacted someone or that you want to be recognized for that. And, you know, like a lot of things, again, that was great feedback, but it kind of took me a step back. I'm like, I'm, I'm excited about changing the world and I want to help other people change the world. I never for a minute thought about that this would be something where I'd be like, look at me, look at me. Um, but I, I took that into consideration, but I also kind of, I guess, buried it under a rock a little bit and, um, you know, didn't really pursue it much beyond that. Although, you know, I then later did a Disrupt HR talk called You Can Change the World, and I'll link to that in the show notes as well. But, um, you know, I, I think that I still believe that we all have the opportunity to make a difference in people's lives. And of course, my life and my experiences are, you know, mostly as being a business professional, as being a leader in the corporate world, and then, you know, being a speaker. And so, you know, when I think about how maybe I've changed the world or changed some people's lives, there are a lot of little examples. You know, the the person who called me from the parking lot when he was about to commit suicide, not because I knew him or that... Uh, I was close to him in any way. He was an employee at the place that I worked, and I was the human resources manager, and and I was the only person he thought to call. I made a difference for him that day because I answered when no one else was answering his calls. Or the person, you know, when their their mother was killed at our place of work, which was a horrible situation, and then I had to obviously help her navigate that, you know, the loss of her mother and and what we had to do as a result of that. But, you know, how that situation was handled certainly made an impact on her and could have made a positive impact or a negative impact. You know, there are other people that maybe I've helped or encouraged to really believe in themselves. And I can think of some examples, you know, that that people have gone on to get promotions or to change careers or to take on an opportunity or even start their own business. And, and again, I don't mention those to draw attention to myself, but, you know, I think we don't often think about what have, what have I actually done to impact people's lives? And, you know, through kind of, you know, again, pushing that down inside myself, I, I mentioned again to a couple of people recently that I was struggling with this, you know, wanting to really impact people, that it that it means something to me. And so how can I do more work or put content out there that does that? And and both of those women, um, when I shared that with them, they actually teared up and said, do you not feel like you've made an impact on my life? And and I looked at them and I said, no, I, I can't really point to anything. And again, they they both with tears in their eyes said, you have absolutely made a positive impact in my life and I thank you. And funnily enough, one of those people was actually the same person that that told me earlier that I had to be careful with, with how I used um, or thought about changing the world. So I want to, through this podcast, to share stories of people just like you, just like me, who are making an impact, whether it's through their writing or through their work or through their volunteer activities or through just being a good human. I want you to hear stories of people that are changing the world and not asking for any credit. 
for it. I also want to share some stories, you know, maybe from my own experience. You know, there will be some episodes that will be interviews and maybe somewhere I'll do a solo episode and, and share something that you can do or some strategies or actions you can take to create more impact and, you know, leverage the influence that you have as a, a business leader or as a, a business person or a volunteer or as a family member out there in the world. That's my goal with this podcast. And I want to help you see those opportunities. So I want to share another story with you. And again, this happens to come from another podcast that I was listening to of how someone was dramatically impacted in some small ways and large ways by at least three different people. And now they are a global life changer for others. Now, you may be thinking, you know, Jennifer seems to listen to an awful lot of podcasts and you would be right. I am in the car a lot. And, um, you know, when I clean house or when I'm getting ready, I'm listening to podcasts. I don't know what you guys are doing, but I'm trying to feed my brain. Uh, of course, I listen to some podcasts that don't really feed my brain as well. But this particular podcast was with Lewis House. And Lewis House has probably one of the most popular podcasts out there. I think it's almost always in the iTunes top 10. iTunes top 10 and, and I'll link to his podcast in this particular episode in the show notes. But I subscribe to Lewis's podcast. I don't always listen to all the interviews, but I noticed for this particular one that he was sharing on his social media accounts where I follow him. Um, he kept sharing, you know, this is one of my favorite episodes of all time. And he's done, I think, over 300 interviews with, you know, celebrities like a Tony Robbins and, uh, you know, world changers and authors. And so he's got big time guests on his podcast. So to see him sharing, this is my favorite one ever. I was like, well, I definitely want to listen to this one. And the woman that he interviewed in his podcast was a woman named Terrorai Trent. And he mentioned this in the podcast right up front, and I saw it on his social media post as well. Tara Wright Trent is billed as Oprah's favorite guest of all time. I mean, what better tagline, personal brand tagline could you get than that? Oprah's favorite guest of all time? I mean, Oprah was on TV for 25 years and talked to a lot of people. So you got to be something special to be called Oprah's favorite guest. So um, certainly I was intrigued by this. And, uh, you know, in listening to her story, obviously, um, you know, I've been impacted by her story. So, you know, it certainly can see why she might be called someone's favorite guest. But let me tell you just kind of a, a brief story of the, of what she shared in the podcast. And again, I'll link to the episode so you can listen to it if you'd like. It's a much longer interview, but basically Tara Wright Trent grew up in Zimbabwe. So in the African country of Zimbabwe, and she came from a long line of women who had been married very young before they could actually, you know, figure out what they wanted to do in their own life. She was actually exchanged for marriage for a cow. So as was the custom in her company country, um, for the price of a cow at a very young age, uh, I don't think she mentioned exactly what it was, but probably 11, 12, something like that. She was given away in marriage for a cow. Now, most of us can't relate to that experience, but, um, you know, that that was her life. And by the time she was 18 years old, she was already the mother of four and was pregnant with her fifth child. I've had one child and I can't imagine I had my child at 27 and I still felt like I was too young. I cannot imagine being the mother of four, potentially five at the age of 18. But that's why she found herself and again, was very traditional in her culture. And 
at that time, her country was just coming out of it before it had been called Rhodesia and had been through a civil war and had come out of that civil war and just gained their independence and was now the country of Zimbabwe. And as a result, you know, more people were able to come in and, and try to help some of the people who were living in poverty, et cetera. And a woman came to her town when she was the age of 18, you know, the pregnant with her fifth child and was sitting around a campfire with a group of other women. And this white woman from the United States came in as a volunteer and sat down with the women there at the fire and asked them one question. She probably, I'm sure, had some other conversation, but Tara Rye mentioned this one question. And that one question that she asked these women was, what are your dreams? Now, to hear her share that line and her Zimbabwean accent is, is much, much more uh, melodious than how I sound. But what are your dreams? What a great question that is. And so, you know, the other women maybe shared some of their thoughts. But Tara, I said she looked at her and thought, you know, what are my dreams? Me, a, a poor black woman, I'm supposed to dream she said she didn't say anything and the other women, you know, began to share and and they shared their hopes about educating their own children or their dreams about remaining safe or having enough food to eat. So, again, basic needs and wants. And um, the woman listened to their dreams and then she finally turned around because Tara Rai had not said anything and had been quiet. And she said to her, you know, young woman, why are you so quiet? And Tara, I said she wasn't sure what came over her, but maybe it was the way the woman looked at her or the way she kept nudging on her. But she finally opened her mouth. And when she did, she couldn't stop talking. She had some dreams and no one had ever asked her to share them. So she shared that she wanted to go to America. And not only did she want to go to America, but she wanted to get her Ph.D., and she said the other women around the fire were silent because they knew that not only was she expecting her fifth child, but she didn't even have a high school degree. But Tara Rai said the white woman from America looked at her and said, Tara Rai, if you believe in your dreams, they are achievable. Again, how powerful is that? If you believe in your dreams, they are achievable. So Tara Rai ran to her mother and she told her that she'd met a white woman who made her believe that she could achieve her dreams. And this is where you might think, well, her mother's like, uh, you know, that's a crazy woman. That's crazy talk. Go back to taking care of your children. But here's an opportunity again where someone has an opportunity to make an impact. She said when her mother heard the news, she turned to her and said, if you truly believe what this stranger has said to you and you achieve your dreams, not only are you defining who you are as a woman, but you are defining every life that comes out of your womb and generations to come. <laughs> Leave it to a mom to lay it on thick, right? You know, you are not only defining yourself if you get this girl, but everybody that you create that comes after you. So, you know, her mom, I guess in her own way, uh, encouraged her. So, you know, her mother didn't just allow her to say, you know, I met a woman and she told me I can achieve my dreams. Her mother told her to write down her dreams and she told her to bury them. Now, why did she tell her to bury them? Because in their culture, in the Zimbabwean culture, they bury the umbilical cord of a, new, of a newborn child with the belief that when the child grows, that wherever they go in life, the buried umbilical cord will always remind the person of their birthplace. 
So her mother was connecting this really important moment to something that was of cultural significance. Bury your dreams to give them life. So Tara I wrote down her dreams, and initially she had four dreams. One of them was to come to America. To get her undergraduate degree was the second. To get her master's degree was the third. And then to get her PhD was the fourth. So she went from zero to 60. I don't just want to go to America. I want to get my high school degree, my undergraduate degree, my master's degree, and my PhD. So she's ready to go bury those four dreams. And of course, her mother can't let this go. And she says to her, Tararai, your dreams will have greater meaning when they are tied to the betterment of your community. In other words, don't just think about yourself. How can you, if you achieve your dreams, think about your community? So Tararai wrote a fifth dream to come back and improve the lives of women and girls in her community. So five dreams that she wrote down on this piece of paper, went out and buried the piece of paper in her village. And from there, again, she shares the story in the podcast, and she's also written a book, which I'll link to. Um, It took her eight years from the day that she buried her dreams to achieve her GED. So remember, she didn't even have a high school education, and it took eight years. So she was an older woman, you know, 18 years with a family of, you know, five children. and, And she mentioned that she had an abusive husband as well. But she took eight years to get her GED. How many of us have that kind of perseverance? But Tararai describes that eight years as eight years of failing. She said she was an older woman, and because Zimbabwe was under British influence still, she had to take her classes through correspondence courses, which meant that she had to receive instruction through the mail from the UK and then return her assignments through the mail to Cambridge in the UK. So, Unlike the United States Post Office, the mail doesn't, you know, run rain, sleet, snow, or hail on, you know, a, a daily basis, six days a week. The mail came in frequently, and of course, it had to go a long way. And so, it took a long time for her to get her assignments, and it took a long time for them to get back to Cambridge to be evaluated. So she would wait three to six months, she said, for the results to come back. And many times, the results were that she had failed. So she would have to find the money to repeat those classes again, and sometimes that process took years. But she kept at it until she achieved her GED. After she received her high school degree, again, eight years, and can you imagine what it took in her poor village for her to get the money to be able to do this? But she did it. And she received her high school degree and then was accepted into Oklahoma University in America. Wow, again, You know, I can't even begin to imagine what it would be like to be in a village in Africa to apply for a university um, in the United States to get accepted and to think about what it would take to actually make that happen. But she was accepted and she received her undergraduate degree there in agriculture and then a master's degree in plant pathology. She said she chose those degrees because in her culture, the earth is sacred. And she felt that getting an education in agriculture was part of who she was, so connecting to her purpose. Now, you may think that it was easier for Tararai, and the story's kind of over once she gets to the United States, but she had to come here not only for an education, but she brought her family of five children and her abusive husband along with her. And she was responsible for providing for her family, which obviously made it very difficult circumstances. 
for them, America was a difficult place to live. And, and again, she was an older student and surprisingly, she didn't have access to scholarships. So she wasn't, you know, given a free ride to go to school. And as a result, she worked three to four jobs while going to school in order to feed her family and provide for them and also pay for her own tuition. Amazing. But she noticed one day that while her children were brushing their teeth, their gums were bleeding. And she realized that they were missing fruits and vegetables in their diet because those things were expensive. And she was feeding her family kind of the typical American diet of burgers and French fries. So she knew she had to do something better for her children. She went to the university and begged them for help. The vice president of the university said, there's nothing really that we can do to help you here, but why don't you go to your local store? Because I think sometimes, you know, the, the fruits and vegetables go bad that weren't bought. And, and I think they throw those away at the end of the day. And, and maybe you could get those and wash them and feed your family. So she did that. She went to her local store and asked the store manager if she could have the rotting fruits and vegetables. And, and again, just like in America, he told her he couldn't do that. Um, because if something went wrong, you know, she could always sue them. But fortunately, he did take pity on her and he told her that he would take the rotting fruits and vegetables and put them in a cardboard box every day by the dumpster outside. And if she could get there by four o'clock, they would be there for her. But if she couldn't get there by four, unfortunately, they'd have to throw them away. Now, remember, Tara was working three to four jobs, taking care of five kids and her abusive husband, and she was rarely able to get there by four o'clock. So when she got there, most of the times the produce was already in the dumpster. But she retrieved them, washed them, and fed them to her family and felt grateful for rotting fruit from the trash can because she knew that there were millions of children in Africa and other countries who were eating from trash cans fruit that no one had washed. At least she was eating from the American trash can and that the fruit was washed. After she graduated with her master's degree, she felt that she needed to get a job before going to get her Ph.D. because, you know, it's maybe a little bit of time for a break. And she wanted to care for her children a little bit more than she'd been able to do while she was so busy going to school and working to pay for all their needs. So she applied for jobs and she was ultimately hired by an organization called Heifer International which is an organization that puts food in the mouths of hungry people all over the world, not only through helping them with food, but helping them to learn how to feed themselves. So it connected to, again, her purpose and her mission. So she relocated her family to Arkansas to take this job at Heifer International. And here's where it gets good, people. You thought it was good up to this point, but here's where it gets really good. One day, while she was walking on the campus of the Heifer International offices in Arkansas, she met a woman who saw her and said, I know you. Are you from Zimbabwe? Now, let me take a pause there because I just got chills. And again, I've, I've heard this story now twice because I went back and took some notes so I could share it with you. I got chills then. I'm getting chills now. I know you. Are you from Zimbabwe? Guess what? It turns out that this woman was named Joe Luck, and Joe Luck was a program officer at Heifer International, the organization where Terrorai was now working. And Joe and Terrorai had met over 14 years earlier back in Zimbabwe when Joe Luck had asked Terrorai, what are your dreams? <laughs> wow. Imagine all of the forces at work in the universe 
Tara Rye didn't know that, even know the woman's name. In fact, she said she didn't recognize her. The woman recognized Tara Rye and remembered her from 14 years ago. So there wasn't like, you know, come to America and I'll make sure that you get hired. This was by chance a meeting of two people who had met over 8,500 miles away 14 years earlier. Sometimes the universe does amazing things. They hadn't spoken since that day. They didn't know each other's names, but she said, I know you. Are you from Zimbabwe? And she said to Terrorai, I know your dreams. You want to have a PhD. Amazing. Amazing people have impacts on others through small little things. Do you think that over 14 years earlier that Joe Luck actually thought by saying, what are your dreams, that everything that would have happened after that point to get them to where they were today would have happened? I doubt it very much. She was there because she cared and because she reached into the life of someone else. So Joe Luck actually went on later to become the CEO of Heifer International. No shocker there. And Tara I went on to obtain her PhD. It took her almost 20 years from the day that she buried her dreams in Zimbabwe. Remember, though, in addition to receiving her education, she had a fifth dream that her mom had made her put down on that piece of paper. And that dream was to give back to her community by improving the lives of women and girls in Zimbabwe. However, once again, she was faced with some obstacles. She didn't have any money. She had her great PhD, but she wasn't sure how to make those dreams become a reality. And so she started to look for ways to raise money. And she talks about it in the podcast about how she created shirts, T-shirts to sell and sold like seven to family and friends. And of course, that wasn't going to get her back to Zimbabwe to help others. And I guess through her efforts and through maybe sharing her story, she didn't really go into much detail about this. But she says that it was at that time that she got what she calls the phone call of her life. And that phone call was from none other than the grand dame herself, Miss You Get a Car, Oprah Winfrey. <laughs> Oprah had actually heard of Tara Rye and her story and wanted to donate $1.5 million towards her fifth dream. Oprah heard her story, wanted to give her money to help her achieve that dream. Now, you may listen to that story again, which which I hope you enjoyed sharing. And if you you should go listen to her interview with Lewis on his podcast. But there are at least three people in there who had amazing impact. It's easy to look at, well, Oprah Winfrey has a billion dollars. So it's easy for her to give a lot of money and help somebody here. So I'm not Oprah and I don't have a billion dollars. But really, really think about the very first person who spoke into terrorized life, a woman who gave of her time and volunteered herself and simply went there to encourage other women to dream. And because she connected with someone who actually had dreams, who then had another person in her life, her mother, who believed in her, who didn't discourage her dreams, and encouraged her to actually follow through on them, but not just to follow through on them, but to actually think about others in achieving them. Those two women put her in the position for Oprah Winfrey to pull out her purse strings and help her to achieve her dreams.
So today, Tara Wright Trent is a scholar, a humanitarian. She's a motivational speaker, an educator, an author, and a founder of Tara Wright Trent International. She's become one of the most well-known and internationally recognized voices for quality education and women's empowerment. And she's also written a best-selling book called The Awakened Woman, Remembering and Reigniting Our Sacred Dreams, which I'll link to in the show notes at jennifermcclure.net slash O3. Through her foundation and with Oprah's help, there are now 11 schools benefiting over 6,000 boys and girls going through the education system in Zimbabwe. Through her efforts, not only are they providing quality education to the poorest of the poor, but they've also managed to transform communities by helping them to understand the value of educating girls. Not only did she achieve her first four dreams, but she is knocking it out of the park on her fifth dream. So the, the impact of one person asking, what are your dreams? and of another person encouraging that thought, and of a third person facilitating the actual uh, execution of that is now impacting thousands of lives. So that's the kind of stories that I want to share. But I want to share with you stories of people who are bloggers or writers or speakers or business people who are doing those kinds of things in their workplace every day. Because all of us, have the opportunity if we are intentional about how we impact others and we look for ways to encourage people to live out their dreams and their purpose. So I want to wrap this up with kind of bringing Oprah along with me because uh, I'm actually learning a lot about Oprah these days as a speaker. I'm kind of interested in how she uses her voice. And so I've been watching a lot of Oprah stuff, listening to Oprah. And a couple of things that I've listened to recently, I think really kind of help wrap this all together. One was her Harvard commencement speech, which I'll link to in the show notes, but I think she delivered it in 2010, where it's a great speech. Again, she's a great speaker and has a great message to share. It's very relatable, relatable. But in that talk, she talks about the common denominator of our human experience, that most of us don't want to be divided. What we want, the common denominator that she's found in every single interview that she's done, is that people want to be validated. We all want to be understood. When you think about it, that's so true. And she said, you know, I've done over 35,000 interviews in my career. And as soon as people come off the stage, everyone from Beyonce to President Bush to President Obama, they all say the same thing to her after the interview. They look at her and they say, was that okay? Because they all want to be validated. They want to know that you've seen them. They want to know that they've been heard. And again, to hear Oprah share that story is much better than I. But she said, if I've heard it from Beyonce and all of her Beyonce-ness, I've heard it from everyone, including people like you. So in that commencement she speech, again, she says, you know, they, they want to know, do you hear me? Do you see me? Did what I say mean anything to you? So today, you have the opportunity to hear people, to see people that you come across in your work. You may ask someone something so simple as, what are your dreams? And be a catalyst for a life that ultimately changes the lives of thousands of people. Or you may just listen to someone when they just want to be heard. We've all heard that many times. People just want you to listen. They don't necessarily want advice. And so I've had to learn that along the way myself. 
sometimes just listening to people can be a great way to create impact. But again, one more example here from Oprah and another podcast, which I'll link to for you if you haven't listened to the podcast, Becoming Oprah. It's all about how Oprah became Oprah and, you know, the story of her show. And, and in that, it's a three-part um, podcast within some bonus episodes on her hair and some other things. But in the last episode of the Making Oprah podcast, uh, they're actually interviewing Oprah, again, with her great, you know, very powerful voice. And the last question that they asked her at the very end of the last podcast was, when you think about the 25 years of the Oprah Winfrey show, what do you hope your audience, and then Oprah actually interrupts the interviewer and says, I know what you're going to ask, and I have an answer. And so the interviewer is like, oh, oh, you're Oprah, so go ahead. Yes, what, what, what is that what I want to know here? And again, Oprah beautifully says, this is what I know. When I did the Girls Academy in South Africa, I remember saying to Maya, Maya Angelou, that this will be my greatest legacy. And she said, oh, Maya, this is so wonderful. What's going to happen in these girls' lives and to be able to change these girls' lives? I'm so excited about this being my legacy. And she said, Maya looked at her and said, in Maya's voice, which Oprah does Maya's voice, you have no idea what your legacy will be. You have no idea. Your legacy, she says, is every woman or man or child who ever watched a show and said, I'm going to go back to school. I'm going to leave my abusive husband. I'm going to find a way to not hit my child. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to get my breasts examined. I'm going to get a new bra. I am going to start my own business. Maya told Oprah, your legacy is everybody who ever saw a show. And when you think about it, I mean, Oprah was coming into people's living rooms every day at four o'clock for 25 years. I didn't actually start watching the Oprah Winfrey show until I got a TiVo. So I caught like the last three years. But I do, you know, know that she certainly impacted me and, and impacted the lives of many others. But that's you know, very powerful what Maya said to her. Your legacy is everyone who has ever seen a show. And then Oprah finishes it with, she says, to this day, there is nowhere that I can go that somebody doesn't come up to me and say, thank you. And it makes her want to cry. She said, somebody will come up to me and say, thank you. And that happens to me every day, everywhere I go. And she said, that connection is deep because I intended it to be. Now that part got me. That connection is deep because I intended it to be. Through this podcast and through the work that I do, I want to be intentional about having an impact on the lives of others through small ways, maybe every so often in large ways. And through my work in this podcast, I want to encourage you to really be intentional about the impact that you can have on the lives of others. You don't need a TV show. You don't need a billion dollars. You don't need to be Oprah Winfrey. You could be someone who says, what are your dreams? Now go forth and do it. So I look forward to talking with you further and sharing stories on the Impact with Makers with Jennifer McClure podcast. In the next episode, I'm actually starting with one of my very best friends, a person who has had a lot of impact on my life, a writer, a speaker, and a consultant business advisor, my friend, Laurie Rudiman. 
So I hope you'll join me for the next show of the Impact Makers with Jennifer McGlure podcast so you can learn how Lori has impacted me and I think impacted the lives of many others so that you can maybe take some of those examples and apply those in your own life. Thank you for listening and have a great day. What is your dream? Are you ready to learn how to increase your impact and influence to make a real difference in the lives of others, just like the stories you heard today? If so, you should subscribe and leave a review. We'll bring you weekly content that will help you be the impact maker you were meant to be.